Dear Alberta Wildlife Stories listeners, recently it has come to my attention that our local range known as the Sherwood Park Archery Club is in need of some help. This club has been the longest running here in Alberta since 1979. The range consists of two 3D loops weaving through their beautiful outdoor trails and an outdoor range with massive targets all the way out to 100 yards. They also now have a great indoor 20-yard range for year-round 24-7 practice. As a member, you get gate access to use the facility anytime you like that fits your schedule. Within recent years, the range has experienced vandalism and theft, resulting in costly repairs to their indoor structure and stolen off-road vehicles used to maintain trails and set up 3D courses. This is where you come in. If you are in the central Alberta area looking for a great space to help take care of, this is it. The range is always looking for volunteers to help with caretaking, and of course they're always looking for new members to enjoy their facilities. All they have to offer comes at an immutable price. To further check out how you can help and to register as a member, go to www.sherwoodparkarchery.com. This episode is sponsored by Grizz Targets and Archery. Hands down the best targets made right here in Alberta. I'm very thankful to have partnered with some amazing guys putting out high quality products. Their targets range in all sizes from the backpacker, which is their most portable target, great for checking your sights to make sure your arrow flies true when you're in the backcountry. This thinner 12 by 12 target can double as a seat or a flat surface when cooking. Say you want to have some fun testing your skills at long distances? The Kodiak, on the other side of the spectrum, boasts a massive 48 inch by 48 inch surface to assure you that you won't be digging in the grass for arrows when you're shooting past 100 yards. They have targets for both field points and broadheads, with interchangeable cells to keep you from breaking the bank when the bullseye gets blown out. You want a target that's as tough as you? Get Grizzly Tough with Grizz Targets and Archery. Be sure to check them out at grizztargetsarchery.ca. This episode is sponsored by Slayer Calls. Bill Ayer, CEO and founder of Slayer, puts immense worksmanship and quality control into every one of his calls. Not one of his products makes it into your hands without first meeting his high standards. Slayer currently makes calls for waterfowl, elk, and turkey. Their double reed duck calls boast superior craftsmanship and award-winning performance with wildly loud sound. They have a full range of elk reeds, custom bugle tubes, and in my opinion, the best push-button elk call on the market known as the Enchantress. This push-button call allows you to get a variety of noises from great cow sounds to estrus buzzes and big location bugles when paired with the swagger tube. Slayer makes many other products from goose calls and turkey reeds to lanyards, bags, and gear. They even have an online course to get you calling like a pro. Check out Slayer Calls at slayercalls.com and call the wild. This episode is sponsored by CND Archery. CND is Alberta owned and operated, offering two pro shops in Roslyn and Maleg. Owners Corey and Doug have more than 25 years of combined knowledge and experience to get you set up properly and to maintain your gear for years to come. CND Archery is Canada's only distributor of expedition bows. They carry tons of great gear that you won't find anywhere else. Corey and Doug support local by carrying many Alberta-made products from arrows to accessories. Get in touch with the guys on Facebook or Instagram today at CND Archery and set up your visit. This episode of Alberta Wildlife Stories is sponsored by Precision Edge Taxidermy. Owner and operator Hunter Friesen from Stetler, Alberta puts outstanding craftsmanship into every mount to turn your most memorable stories into conversation pieces for your home. Precision Edge does everything from Euro mounts to anything big game, along with waterfowl, small game, and everything in between. Next time you connect with a trophy, connect with Hunter at Precision Edge Taxidermy. Find his stunning array of work on display on Instagram and Facebook at Precision Edge Taxidermy and contact him today.
Welcome to Alberta Wildlife Stories. Joining me today is none other than the locally renowned Darren Chivery. For those that don't already know, Darren and his family run the Chartier restaurant in Beaumont, providing guests with incredible French cuisine from ingredients locally sourced from our Albertan farmers and markets. They offer dining in a cozy atmosphere akin to being a guest in their own home while still maintaining a night out experience that my family and I truly love. Darren is a family man with a lot on his own plate as he is also an accomplished bow hunter, photographer, and writer who is widely appreciated due to his unique and authentic perspective that many relate with. Without further ado, Darren, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing tonight? Hey, man. Thanks for having me on. That was like the kindest intro that I have ever heard. Very so, <laughs> much, man. I mean it. I mean... Thanks. No, I do. Like, uh, it was honestly really nice to be able to pop into the restaurant there. I think it was about a month ago now, just before the holidays, just before Christmas and everything. And uh, yeah, it's it's beautiful what you guys got going on over there. Thanks, man. I really appreciate that. And you really kind of nailed what we were going for. Our actual, like, oh, you know those, like, mottos that every well, every business should have, but it's usually car dealerships that have them, like, oh, service is excellence or whatever their their mantra is. Ours is every guest your home and it's like you kind of nailed what you said in the intro about it and i'm just glad that that hit home for you and your family because what we try and do yeah man it's it's definitely very apparent and then you know i like it because um it's just really cozy in that sense but it is in the same instance like it's a nice dining experience where you still feel like you're out having an amazing meal like celebrating something or like going out on a special date or occasion but in the same instance, it's as if you're in like the comforts of your own home. It's like the best of both worlds that way. So, oh, yeah. that's uh, I really appreciate that. That's a really kind, kind descriptor because yeah, I think I love food and I was very much into the fine dining world and I got really sick of it quick because it's a lot of bullshit. But the food and ingredients are so good. I just hated the stuffiness and the whole side of it. So. I think that both things can coexist. I think that you can really enjoy fine ingredients, but in your own like comfortable setting, you should be able to do it in jogging pants. <laughs> I like that. But I think, you know, it's in every industry, right? Like I think that's what makes it perfect in a sense to be an entrepreneur and start your own business. Right. It's like, if you, if you're not like totally happy with everything out there with the dining experience and you were like, well, you know, I could offer this then absolutely. You know, like that's why I think it gives merit to why it's yeah. Just so beautiful there and successful. Same reason why I love it is like, there's totally a need for that. Right. Yeah. Service uh, in general. Like I always, I don't know. I, I come from, and I'm not blaming, this is just a cultural thing. But I come from Nova Scotia, and I think a lot of people, when they say that they travel to the east, say that they always have a great experience. People always welcome them into their homes and that side of things. And I found that the like dining experience, especially when I moved away from home, I was like, man, nobody is nice. Like people, like it's felt very transactional, and it just that's not what food is about in my world at all. Yeah, that would make sense for sure. That was something that I was going to uh, bring up with you. I was wondering, like, I knew you're French-Canadian, but I didn't know if it was the family that was, like, if you were born in Alberta, so you were born on the East Coast then, or? Yeah, I'm, a, I'm a, like, the typical 
East Coast are coming out looking for the Alberta Dream. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody knows one. Yeah, and multiple, so if not, so. <laughs> All Whichever ones did you wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so far, none, honestly. Yeah, I've been, yeah. Much to handle, I'll say. <laughs> A lot of Lots of what, sorry? I think he just got a I just missed you. Oh, sorry. Lots of energy, those East Coasters. Oh, yeah, no doubt. That's for sure. Yeah, no, I work <laughs> with uh, co-workers from Newfoundland and have a few buddies from Newfoundland, too, so it's a whole party for sure. Yeah, no, I moved out here, I think, now creeping in on 15 years ago. Wow. So, finished pulling all that jazz. I moved out here chasing the dream. And yeah. So that being said, um, you know, when at that point did you decide to open the Chardier and what made you realize, you know, this is something we're diving into fully? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I, I think we made a decision. Like I, we opened, we celebrated eight years this year. And so I'd say 10 years ago, we made the decision, my wife and I, and I was at, I think everybody kind of around here knows Cactus Club restaurants. Mm -hmm. I was with that company for about five years prior. Um, and like, it's a, it's a big volume place, right? Like a lot of guests through that door, like the, the West Edmonton location has 400 seats. And wow. I remember one night, like just the amount of steak that was going through the pass through. And when you only have a certain amount of cuts, it just had my brain going of like, how many cows is that? And then I was like, well, we do this every night. And then I'm like, well, what happens to the rest of those cows? And I had always been ingrained in food. Like I've been doing this since I was so like the only job I've done since I was like 15. And I don't know, man, it just something clicked. And I was like, there's gotta be a better way for us. And I'm not knocking, like it just made me think about our food system a lot mm -hmm. and like serendipitously I was driving home maybe two days after having this kind of weird epiphany and we were living out on my in-laws farm at the time uh, which is in the Edmonton bow zone and it was like out of a movie there was like this really nice buck that kind of came out across the road out into a field it was frosty he's like air came out of his nostrils like it was like out of a movie <laughs> and i remember thinking i'm like man that's like food like that's a natural resource there i've never done this before so just the way that we kind of got thinking about food and it it just clicked for us and i was working so many hours at the restaurant and my wife at the time was home with our daughter but before that she was with a marketing agency and we'd always wanted to do our own thing and when this kind of clicked, we talked more about it and our values and we were like, I think that we can actually do this. So yeah, I went and quit my job and kind of jumped both feet in. So at that time, um, like when you mentioned seeing that buck and everything and, you know, in the frosty air, um, like you bring up a lot and sometimes it seems like within articles you've done or um, other things is like this adult onset hunting. Um, at that point, were you already hunting or were you seeing that as like an alternative source? And did that kind of also flick the light on in your brain for like hunting as well? 
all like happened great in that short span of a week. Wow. I, I out here the animals it it just all clicked and it was like yeah, I jumped into both <laughs> both like <laughs> in. um because where we were living, like I lived on a tree farm. There was deer living there. I saw them every day. It was like yeah, it all just kind of clicked and it was like yeah, seeing if it, I started seeing it as food versus like just nature. Wow, that's... as an adult, you do it differently. Like I, I come from family. Like all my uncles hunted, my dad hunted. He tried his hardest to get me to hunt, but I was like such a soft kid, like just yeah. so pathetic. I love. I still death man. I'm like so soft when it comes to animals. And I didn't so it's interesting that like later in life, I think it's just it's a different experience. Yeah, that's definitely yeah, like holds a lot of merit. I mean, even for myself too. And I think a lot of people talk about that where you know a lot of times hunting gets people get painted as like some ruthless you know killer when really a lot of times we care a lot more for these animals and want to see them live healthy, long and good lives more than a lot of people and take care of their habitat and the situation and everything. And when it comes to conservation and everything too. So it's like, you know, I think that speaks to that a lot that, you know, even you can be softer, but still, you know, to play your part in the circle of life. And that I think adds to the appreciation side of things so much more than people think, you know, I totally agree. Like, I think that that is one of the biggest, I hate using the word fights because it's so divisive, but like the, the hunting community, not that far off from value. Like really, when you think about it, the care factor, they both want the same thing. Mm-hmm. We both want the best thing for those animals. And it's just two totally different viewpoints, right? And I just, I think that that's the hardest thing is trying to paint it that like this, it's not this ruthless go out and kill as many. Like I, I don't know. I, a lot of your listeners will probably laugh at this, but I, I really don't care about sharing it. I still get wildly emotional when I take an animal. And it's like, it's a combination of all kinds of things. I'm an emotional guy. I think life feels super heavy. Like, I put a lot of work in, so it's, like, feeling of elation. Like, I don't know. It's all, it's a lot of emotion. And it's, like, that moment afterwards is a very special moment. And I'm always grateful if, if someone's there when they're sharing in it. Like, yeah, I think that is the most misunderstood part about hunting without doubt. And I think something I really try and tell is somebody who didn't, grow up in the hunting community as an adult and like now being able to have a bit of a voice in the community with writing it's I very much want to be able to show that side because I think a lot of things are directed towards how to and kill shot video and those types of things and those are all great but I just think that there's room for some different voices yeah I completely agree with that um I think like through the podcast there's definitely been um, some guests has shine a really similar light on those moments. And I think it's funny because like, even when I started the podcast, I was like, 
wondering how it would be taken in or wondering what people would think about certain opinions or my own opinions and things like that. And then the more that, you know, you start to kind of stir people up and ask these questions and get into those moments, the more I realize that like the people kind of doing it for the right reasons entirely are the ones that are like sitting in that, that moment of, again, the circle of life, like taking something's life to continue our own or something and really, I guess, fully being immersed in that like human experience um, of what that feels like. Right. Cause like you said, it's, it's a multiple or a multitude of emotions or whatever. Like it's, it's adrenaline and it's excitement and it's, you know, also like gratitude and thankfulness. Like it's just, it's a roller coaster too. Right. And it's just, like you said, to bring that more to the public eye over just like a successful kill shot, like regardless, everybody wants to, you know, deal an animal an ethical death, right? Like nobody wants something running out forever and whatever things can happen, but it's everyone's best interest, like to have something go as easy as possible. Right. So. And I just think it's like you also in those with, with that heaviness, like to me, part of that is like you're paying, that's paying dues and the system, like, there's a blind eye to how food is getting on people's tables and how they're consuming it and how they buy it. And it's like when you become a part of the process, it's a different world altogether. But it's just a that it's that blind eye to where food is coming from that I think I find a lot of hypocrisy in it where I'm like, well, you can't judge anything. Because I'm taking responsibility for where my food's going. And that might sound like a soapboxy type of thing, but I would probably guarantee that a majority of our listeners feel the same way. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I definitely agree with that. And, you know, I think it's funny because there's so many kind of different takes, right? There's the people that were like, oh, if, if I can't deal with it myself, then I should just be a vegetarian because I can't handle the, the process of it, you know? Okay. I know for myself personally, and I've mentioned it before, it's just like, I always felt uh, like exactly like you said, man, when you're at the cactus club there, like that disconnect of um, just, you know, how food's getting there and how many lives kind of happen. Like, and I've mentioned that before and it's, it's a weird way of putting it. I don't really know the best words to put it into, but I always think of it as like, you know, I don't know the, I, it's like this like death counter tally, you know, for lack of better words. And I have no idea like how many chickens have died for me to continue my life and how many cattle had died for me to enjoy a steak or something, you know, um, just so I could be here talking to you right now. Right. <laughs> so it's just funny because at least, you know, when like, you do take part in it, you know, like something that has, and you have that connection with it. And I find like, I wasn't very much of like a wasteful eater prior to, but like now, especially like after hunting, cause I'm also like an adult onset hunter that way. Like now it's like, if my son puts his plate down and he's like done eating his venison or whatever, I'm like, that's getting all eaten right now. Like that's not going in the garbage. But <laughs> <laughs> you definitely, the and I think it's the same, it's not just hunting either. It's the same I find it the same with the restaurant when it wouldn't like we source our beef through red tail farms. It's all grass fed beef. And 
like rotational grazing and the way that they regenerative farming, the way that they raise their animals. Like I see them every year. I go, it's, it's a, it's a different process when you are there for the butchering on the farm. You know, they have their own little blue door butchery there that they process it right on the farm. And it's, it's the same thing when I'm eating that beef. A, it's phenomenal, but I'm also like, I know how much Dana and Ian worked and what they sacrificed and what they're sacrificing for like all other Albertans, like the way that they treat their land, they're stewards of the land. Like there's, there's a lot more that goes into knowing where your food comes from than hunting too. Right. And I think that that's, it just, that part just opened my eyes as well going through it. And yeah. It's been a really great experience. I, I had no idea that you started hunting. So yeah. Bring such an to it, I find. Oh, for sure. That's, I, I, I definitely like when I was like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to handle, you know, taking my first deer or anything. I was wondering, like, am I going to, you know, this is going to sound embarrassing, but like, am I going to get sick? Am I going to not like the smell? Am I going to be queasy? Am I going to, you know what I mean? Like all this different stuff. But my, my wife and her family, like they are 100% like foodies. I mean, they're Italian. So like, it's, when like when we yeah when when we go to a restaurant it's like you know immediately like after you and i first started kind of talking here and there um and i like first looked at your menu online and stuff like my wife and i are like you know these are the farmers and stuff that we're buying our food from you know at the strathcona market or Mm. at the bountiful market in edmonton right like so immediately like when we see ingredients like that on the menu we're like yeah we're going there right it's not just like let's try a new restaurant. Like th- those kind of things are like a special like peak to us, right? Like that we're like, oh yeah, like we love, you know, Irving's or bacon or whatever. And it reminds me of something funny where uh, we get a lot of our chicken through like Sunworks Farms there. And uh, like Sheila and Ron, the owners, I love, they have, I think the quote for their business is like, like when you're talking about the mantras and stuff, um, and I think it might be taken from like an indigenous saying or something, but it's like the earth isn't inherited or the earth isn't passed down from your ancestors. It's borrowed from your children. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, it's really funny because <laughs> this is just, it's like, it's exactly like you say, like how much like love and care, you know, they put into like their animals and their livestock into like farming and, you know, butchering and everything. And it's just a funny story, but there's one Thanksgiving a few years ago and there's always like this turkey order, right? Like everyone's putting in like an order for these big birds and they go flying out of the market. I didn't mean to make that pun, but they go somewhat flying out of the market really quick, but it's, you know, we got, you got to get there early. You got to get the, and I'm sure you know this like stuff with the restaurant too. You always want the best of the best kind of stuff. Right. Yep. And uh, we always would get there early for, we still do for our turkey from them for Thanksgiving and stuff. And, the one year my mother-in-law like took the turkey <laughs> and she's like, Oh, that's a beautiful bird. And she like kind of patted it or whatever. And she just looks at her and she's like, you do not ever slap my turkey. <laughs> <laughs> and it came from such a place of like, you know, love on both ends. Cause she's like, Oh, what a beautiful bird or whatever. And the other one's like, it's yeah. stupid, but it's okay. just so funny. Man. <laughs> and I probably shouldn't ask you what, tree farm because and I'll, I'll maybe i'll ask you this outside of the chat or something but my in-laws are also in the bow zone and 
we're relatively close to a tree farm and i'm like man maybe this whole time we've been hunting like a few properties away from each other without knowing it oh my gosh that's hilarious yeah, yeah. and likewise like you know me and my wife have been together for 10 years now and in the first couple of years of it i never you know we lived out there and stuff too and i never th- thought of anything and then i was like man this is literally prime property to hunt on and and once I realized that, it yeah, hunted on it every year since. But oh, I like also had no idea what I was doing, so that was even. It was nice to be able to be on kind of a home property, and it was like I could walk out to my stand in the morning. Like I, yeah, I it the learning. Factor, I definitely was not where the deer were, and I was in like this horrible pallet stand that I put up in the tree that like. I was at the bottom of a hill, so anything that came behind me, we were just like, I <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was like, at least I could, it took me 10 minutes to walk out there in the morning. Like I got lots of hunting in and I learned lots of hunting those first few years and really might've given up if I wasn't walking because yeah, it's <laughs> like a steep learning curve. Oh, that's for sure, man. I was like same thing and it yeah there's so many like highs and lows that way like like you said there's so many lows that it makes you want to quit too yes i think back to some of the stuff that we were doing luckily i had a buddy my buddy drew was learning at the exact same time he moved back here from ontario and we kind of picked it up both with archery like for some reason trying the hardest way yeah so at least I had somebody to like kind of learn with. But I remember I was thinking about this today because my daughter was walking in my prints in the snow. And we had read somewhere that like if you're walking in partners, you're supposed to walk like in sync so that it doesn't sound like two people walking. Oh, my God, man. It would take us like an hour and a half to get out to our stand because we would be like taking three steps at the same time in the dark. <laughs> and listening and then taking three steps in the dark and stopping and listening and i was like just like some of the things that we would do because we read something online or we're like this guy does it so we should try it <laughs> and you know what's funny man is like when you say that too like there's so many you know you could google for hours like oh like if it's raining should you stop hunting like do the bucks come out in the rain like Oh, uh, you know, like, and people will say, oh, this is buck behavior. They will never like walk the same path as you because of the smell from your boots. You know, like there's all these like classic tagline things that are like, do this, don't do that. And then I realize like the more that I'm out there myself, that there is like seriously no rhyme or reason sometimes. Like I've had deer that have like literally walked up behind me. Like I've walked in super quietly. I turn around and there's a buck there and I'm like, what am I doing? Like what's going on? You know? And yeah, it's yeah, literally got caught with my pants down, like taking <laughs> look up, but where did I come from? How's it? <laughs> you take all that stuff as gospel until you can get that experience. Oh, okay. Well, this is not how it happens. I guess that's, yeah. Well, and it's it's just so funny because I remember reading like so many forums too, and it's like I would be like, and that raining one is definitely one. You know, I'd be like, oh yeah, it started raining mid hunt. I'm like, should I pack it in or something? And I'm sitting there after hours in the stand, and 
regrettably pull out my phone and do a little Google, you know, and it's like every single mixed review. Someone's like, if it's raining, they're bedded down. They're not getting up, get out of there. And then the next guy's like, I killed 180 class buck. <laughs> it's like a rainstorm, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you want to horrible? I'll share this. And this is my own self deprecation. So you guys are welcome that are listening. <laughs> On, I'll, maybe somebody, some of you probably carved me up for it, but it's probably like my second year hunting. And Alberta hunting addicts is like, oh, you can get eaten alive in that form on Facebook. Oh, yeah. Honest. But yes, for the dumbest questions. Yeah. So, and of course, when you're new, you're like desperate, right? Like you've had these encounters and like it's getting closer and you're like, you're putting in all these hours, like friggin' 40 hours a week. I can remember sometimes like just like I've, I'm there all the time and you're so desperate. And I remember it was during the time change. And I was like, laying there in bed before i was gonna go hunting the next morning i was like oh man i wonder if the time change affects the deer movement (laughs) (laughs) so i ask an alberta hunting addict i'm like does the time change how does that affect the deer movement and i got ripped a new one i never deleted a post so quickly but that's funny yeah they're like oh yeah buddy they're wearing watches they're changing their clock back (laughs) (laughs) they're on heart mats yeah yeah i yeah, that's the <laughs> I regrettably, for sure, at one point fishing had asked, I think it was Alberta Fishing Buddies, I can't remember what forum, um, how thick the ice was. <laughs> <laughs> and like very sincerely, I was like, and same thing, I'd never delete a post so fast because I realized how much of a no-no that was because everybody is just like, go out and drill a hole and find out or you know like yeah <laughs> stupid <laughs> you get pretty desperate yeah i mean i thought it was honest i was like is it thick enough for me to go out there people are going to go find out like everyone else does like, yeah. <laughs> 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 but yeah man all that uh being said i was gonna say like through like your presence in social media and other avenues and writing and videography and photography and all the stuff that you are doing along with, you know, the restaurant and hunting and everything. Um, I do really feel like you really like lead life by example. Um, I think you put out like a very like inspiring lifestyle and like life path and uh, perspective towards life. And it's actually very enjoyable to follow along that way. Um, I was going to ask you really with all the things that you're doing, you know, between the restaurant, uh, you know, bow hunting, raising a family, writing articles, being on podcasts, like, do you have any tricks of how you juggle everything? Oh man. A, that was like really kind. So thank you. Appreciate that. I try and, um, I'm a really honest person and I would say in, my non I've been sober for six years now. My non-sober years, like, as a non-sober person, as an addict, you're not honest. Like, mm-hmm. you do anything you can for your addiction, right? And ever since I got sober, I'm like, I'm just going to be as honest and open as humanly possible. It saves so much stuff. And it's not for everybody. Like, I'm an emotional guy. I'm pretty out 
there with open with my viewpoints and opinions and but I really appreciate you saying that because I try really hard to be like this is just the honest and open way that things are so but juggling everything man it's like I don't know even if I do it well (laughs) (laughs) um like it's definitely part like ADHD for sure like I hyper focus on things I think that's why I got really like dove into hunting the way that I did because it's like I'm very much an all or nothing thought process person so I tend to really try and master things as soon as I want to learn them um but yeah I juggling all that stuff for me is a big time about like like having your values straight and prioritizing those values and oddly enough like this all came to light for me with Pretty sure it was Matthew McConaughey that was giving <laughs> like all right, all right, all right. <laughs> but he was, yeah, it was probably for like college too. It was like he should not have been getting a degree before. But the speech was really moving, talking about like how he gets his shit in order, and it's like I know my values, and they are family, my mental health, my physical health, like whatever those things are, right? That's if you can just I try and keep those as my value base every day when I'm making decisions. And that way, like, I feel like I'm checking the boxes that I have to check. So at least if it's, you know, if it's hunting, that is one of those passions. But family's ahead of that. I have to figure out a way to incorporate family into it because they can't, can't do that. The same for like. Yeah, I try and do it that way, if that makes sense. Oh, it does 100%. Like, um, I don't have time for lots of shit. And I'm really not a social person at all. And so I'm lucky that way <laughs> that I don't have obligations. And I, I mean, at the restaurant now, I've got a really amazing team that supports, you know, Sylvia and I now kind of stepping back a little bit and yeah i don't think great juggler but i appreciate saying that well i mean it's like i don't think it's easy for anybody for one and i think it's like i don't think you could have put that better for you know having just priority straight and knowing when and where to direct your energy when it's needed that's there's no science to that there's no like you can't just like set your schedule for you know, at this exact time, I'm going to be fully charged, like you said, mentally, physically, and be all there for family and then go on to the next thing and be all there for work and then show up 100% for out there hunting or whatever, right? Like it's always a give and take and a back and forth. And I think that like, when you look into, I don't know, the industry of things and stuff like that, like, especially when it comes to like the economy and finances and everything, it's so easy for us to feel tugged more in one direction like well i need to be doing this right now because it's very urgent and you know that's how you know we're going to be making a living but then i also feel like i need to be doing this right now if it's something i truly love and want to pursue or whatever right so it's like it i and i don't really i don't know i find like a tough time not relating like social media into this a little bit because it does seem like in that world like everything's such like instant gratification that oh, we yeah. start, like people start to put these expectations on themselves that like they constantly need to be like 
sharing something to get that gratification, to get to like the next thing, to be present, to be like a name, to be always there or something. Um, and it's something that even through the podcast for myself, I'm constantly trying to decipher, you know, okay, exactly like you said, like the hierarchy of priorities <laughs> um, and just trying to juggle them the best that you can throughout every week and month and year and stuff. And sometimes I think we all, you know, slip up and everything and none of us are perfect, but I think to, it's like healthy to be able to, like you say, look at family and um, like your own mental and physical well-being and, and putting that at the top. And then after that's all taken care of, you can enjoy life and the other avenues that you enjoy it. Right. Yes, man. Like being, like oh, this is another where am I where I am getting my advice from these people I have no idea but here's another one Will Smith um, <laughs> I can't do a Will Smith impression unfortunately but yeah he, uh, he was talking about him and his partner and that their relationship really hit a positive point when they stopped trying to make each other happy and they focused on making themselves happy and then they could show up for each other so I was like, man, that makes sense. Like, I totally get that. And I think it's something that especially men have a hard time with as like feeling like providers and feeling like you have to do all these things that it's really hard to be selfish. But as soon as I could shift my mind frame, and this is recent, man, like I've been work like this is been working on this for a long time. <laughs> but once you like shift your mindset to, if I can be selfish and take care of myself first, then I can do all the other shit. Like I can take mm-hmm. care of people. I can do the, my priorities become a lot clearer when I'm, my mental health is in check and I've taken care of my physical well being and I know that my family's good and those things. Yeah. Being selfish doesn't, it has such a negative term to it. Like nobody wants to be selfish, but it can be a really positive thing. And I think men especially have a hard time with it yeah i definitely agree with that and i definitely think that especially like you said when it comes to being providers and being the one that's generally in a stereotypical kind of world like the workhorse of the family or whatever right um it's super easy to neglect a lot of things and then become kind of like i don't want to maybe say miserable but short-tempered and short-sighted and stuff but you need to get caught in a ham bill this mm-hmm. world feels like a big hamster wheel and it's like yeah it's nice to step off of it i'm living towards right yeah and i think that's something that i don't know i've been listening to a lot of uh i don't know if you listen to what the why can't i think of the guy's first name friedman why can't i think of his lex friedman um i've been listening to a lot of his podcasts he always has like just really strange random not strange but just a diverse group of guests on that's not really one dynamic or the next but uh a lot of it's into this discussion of you know again like the human experience and whether it's you're a famous musician or you're a scientist or you're producing ai or whatever the heck you're doing right like it all involves this experience and i can't help but relate that to the to hunting and everything right like it's so easy like you said to get caught up in the hamster wheel that sometimes it's like those moments when you're in the field, I guess, participating in life and death and the circle of life that way 
uh, all of a sudden it's like you just realize like how wild it is to be alive you know like to just be in the woods with these creatures like it's so easy to just you know be like oh yeah they're deer but it's like man deer and elk and moose like when you're up close and personal like you know like bow hunting like it's like these things are like beasts in a way of the forest and they're just like to me they're almost like alien in a sense right because you you never really get to see them you like they're ghosts in a sense like they're so hard to like pattern and create those opportunities when you're that close to them and everything right majestic um, yeah, man, yeah yeah and you could put it really well like i i heard this in a I don't know where I heard it, but it was an older English fella, and he was a bird watcher for so many years, and he started hunting late life, like in his like 60s. And all those years he was bird watching, and he said, you know, I was always on the outside looking in on nature, and I loved it. But then once I hunted for the first time, that I realized it's the only time that I can actually participate in where I'm actually part of it i'm predator prey i am now involved and participating i'm not on the outside watching and that's what and especially with bow hunting i think too you get that feeling when they're that close and like you have those experiences or an elk like the first time i heard an elk bugle dude like i'm not from out here like i'm from (laughs) gosha and the first time i heard fucking elk bugle it was like a jurassic park i'm like that is a dime If my heart like felt it inside of me and it wasn't even just like yeah the feeling was like surreal and it was definitely a feeling one of those moments of like there's something bigger than me like not physically like <laughs> spiritually like something there's something bigger than me going on out here because all of this shit is crazy <laughs> yeah man <laughs> it's just like it's so wild that I, and i just find myself like even more every time like every time you get one of these close encounters or one of these experiences i just am more increasingly like in awe it, you know and it's i don't know the this is going to be for the same thing i also heard like lex friedman say this in one of his podcasts and i really related to it and it's not really like a great thing to relate to but it's like he was talking about how his personality he's like just the way he views life, he feels like he's high all the time. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I shouldn't really, but like at some, at times, I like, I just literally feel like in nature and stuff, I'm just like, this is so mind blowing, you know, like to, yeah, to have like an elk bugling in your face and to be like, you're hunting that thing. It's just such a wild ride life can be and both highs and lows that, yeah, sometimes it can just feel like yeah, a trip in it of itself, I guess, for a lack of better words. But when he mentioned that, I thought it was hilarious and, can relate through hunting, but there, like, this is a totally different world. You're right. Like, you do sometimes feel like like alien territory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that first time elk hunting and experiencing things, having one like thirty yards, you like look through your range finder, ruling, screaming like there's nothing that yeah, <laughs> there's. There are some experiences that are just like it's impossible to try and describe to someone who's not experienced it as well, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. I tried it sometimes. I'll just like try to passionately tell it, tell my wife. I'm like, this year, like, 
2024, like I'm putting you in the rut, like I'm putting you in the bush and my son too. And we're just going to call a deer. And I don't even care if you want to shoot it with a bow or not or whatever, like just be in the presence of being able to call like an animal in and be around it. It's like the craziest thing. Right. And it's just like at a certain point, I realize I'm just exhausting breath and like wasting, <laughs> not that she like doesn't listen or doesn't care, but I will just go off about like how insane that experience is. Cause like you say, there's just no words for it at that. Point. I, uh, I actually heard something really interesting the other day too. And it was, like there are people in the world, like from your ancestors that are like, you are split into two people and it's hunters or farmers and mm-hmm. hunters are like those people that feel, like constantly scan and are, are always like taking like very sensory, taking those things in. And then the farmer type of brain people are the ones that are really good at planting things. Talk <laughs> like you. I know you are listening because you love me, and not because you find any of this interesting. <laughs> yeah, but I think that's such a cool way to put it. That like, there's, it's almost like a left and right brain style, but it's like one is exactly like you said, kind of like always navigating, trying to figure out the next way to go, planning. Where the other one is like. Yeah, just more methodical or like puzzle building. Yeah, and I think like something about when, and I think this comes back to kind of that adult hunting side of things. As a kid, I don't know if you have the if you're able to maybe I don't know maybe people experience this in a different form, but that like oh, I've done this before. Like like I know this is gonna sound hokey and maybe like but it's my ancestors have or but when i'm in the woods hunting and especially when i'm by myself and when things are happening i'm like yeah this is part of who i am like i am connected to this somehow yeah i don't think that's like uh hokey at at all because i definitely relate to that too where um you know sometimes to even go back to when we were talking about like you know looking at all the different oh patterning deer and all the different you know articles on you know behavior and what to expect and all this stuff it's like we are like physiologically or what it physically built like a predator right like we have the two eyes facing forwards you know it's not like it's the same as like a cougar or a bear or a wolf or whatever like we have a very like predatorial design of biological being right so it's like, I think it is like woven innately into our DNA, whether it's through our ancestors doing it and evolution or however, right. We came to be that we are how we are, but it's like, I think when we go back and connect to those things, like you're saying, it's like, we're just like rekindling that connection of what it's like again to like, to be human. Because if, if all of our ancestors never participated in this, we wouldn't be here today to talk about it. And it's a shame that the world argues about whether or not we should do it or not because it's something that like connects us so wholeheartedly to like, I think a lot of things that, you know, like not if we maybe don't suppress, but it's just like, there's just so much there that if you don't experience it, like after as an adult onset hunter now, like experiencing these things, I can't believe, like I look at some of my buddies that just like don't have an interest in hunting at all. And I'm like, you're going to go your whole life and never experience that. You're like, that's, it's just nuts. You got to do it once, right? Like just go and do it. But it's a, to each their own thing. But yeah, I definitely agree with what you're saying that whether it's 
ancestrally or part of our human design that it feels like you know what you're doing out there. Totally. Something I wanted to touch on with you with all this being said is what happened in 2023 in the season for you. Um, you know, I always want to bring up like a memorable story and stuff like that. And if you have other memorable stories, we definitely feel free to share too. But I wanted to get into the Megalodon story. Yeah, man, I had like, a cra- I had a really great season um, hunting. I didn't get out as much as I normally would in a season. Like our restaurant was going to absolute hell in a handbasket. And... But my experiences in the field were like, yeah, I don't know. It's like another one of those things where I'm like, oh, this was all meant to happen. Like, I don't have any time, but I had such a great season in the time that I was able to spend out there that, yeah, nature rules. But Megalodon was, he was a deer that we had on camera for four years. He showed up four years ago on a new property. It's a really small piece, like 30 acre. No, I'd say, actually, sorry, the bush is 30 acres. And there's probably about maybe 100 acres crop around it. Yeah. Um, and put cameras up, and the first camera pull, this giant, like, it was the brow and the base that got me. I don't know if you saw the trail camera pictures of him in Velvet. Yeah. Panola Field. And it was like, I'm freaked. Like, I remember, like, screaming. Like, I was sure I had, like, I was, like, in my head, I'm like, this is a 240-inch deer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And he was, like, he just was one of those deer. And I think anyone who's hunted a period of time has experienced it, that, like, they kind of hit that, um word i'm looking for like mythical kind of status like legendary like once he showed up on camera and showed up a few more times then disappeared i had one encounter with him that first year he showed up and it was pretty amazing to see him in person my daughter and i both saw him leaving a stand and bumped him um and then the following years like he showed he'd show up on camera and like one of my hunting buddies might get a quick glimpse i shot here in the second season of having megalodon around uh while he was there it was like one in his bachelor group but he just like we'd get glimpses of him um the boys had him last year at 30 yards tending a doe but no shot and it just all kind of came together this year i last so after the they we never saw him all season didn't show up on cameras and i kind of thought like well he was big four years ago like i bet you he's on his down word slide here but something took my daughter and I out for a cruise one night just to have a little look around and we passed a field and I looked out and I knew right away that it was him. He looked way different cause he's on a bit of a decline. Like I said, like I'd say that deer has got to be nine years old. Wow. 
And he kind of palmated on one side now, but as soon as I saw the two brow tines and just the way that his antlers were set, I was like, that's mega. Like, he's back? That's nuts. So watched him there. And then the very next night, uh, I, my daughter and I were going to go out and sit in that spot. Because where we saw him was just Kitty Corner property that we had permission on. And he was heading that direction with another buck. And I was like, well, maybe he'll bed down in that bush and make his way back to feed the next night. And we went into this. It's a, this is a very long story. I hope that's okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we, yeah so that night rowan and i like we were, decided to go out um get all dressed and we're going out pretty early it's in september uh mid-september canola's just starting to come off and so we drive out and part way out into the field and as we're driving i'm like i smell cat piss and i was like rowan do you smell cat piss she was like yeah, and it, it kept getting stronger and stronger. And then, sure enough, one of our cats somehow got into the basement and pissed in my hunting bin. <laughs> Notice, like, our body heat warmed it up. So, like, I we get there. We're a little bit late getting out, too. And I'm like, great. The animal with the greatest sense, all I do all year is try and descend. And I'm like, now I'm covered in the strongest smelling thing on the planet. Like, <laughs> the worst smell ever. <sighs> so at that point, I was like, Rowan, we might go home. She And I have to give credit to her. She's the main reason that we shot this deer. Because everything was like, yeah, she just definitely dragged me around to get this deer. She was like, no, no, we should stay out. I was like, all right. So we get out to the stand. We're late getting out. And as we're walking out, I look over, and there's three combines combining the field beside us. I'm like, Rowan, there's no way a deer is coming out here tonight. Like, She's like, come on, we'll just go sit for a little bit. So we climb up into this ladder stand, look back. We hadn't been in the stand for two years, and I just kind of felt a little rickety, and I looked back, straps barely holding on. And so I'm like, Rowan, we have to get out of the stand. It's not safe. So we climb. <laughs> of course, we're up there for like, you know, 45 minutes, get it settled in, and now we have to climb back down again, making a bunch of noise. And I was like, this is the most pointless hunt I had ever been on, but whatever. At least I'm here with my kid. And get we get down. Where, we're, where this ladder stand is set up is out in the field, like on like one of those windrows, but it's at the corner where the trees kind of meet at a windrow. And there's just a little bit of bush there, and we climb down and I was moving around a little bit, and I turned around. And I was like, there's two deer, like about 400 yards, just coming out of the bush. And I was, it got Rowan to get down, and we, I looked up, put up the binos, and it was a doe. And right behind her was him. Wow. Middle of September. He was with a, with a bachelor group the night before, and then he came, stepped out with this doe. And everything happened so quickly after that, that again, it was one of those moments that you're like... Well, this all happened for a reason. Because he walked that tree line exactly where my wind would be blowing to. Stopped maybe six feet where I'm like, oh, he's going to walk into my wind line. Turned, walked straight down the field, didn't even pick at any food. Towards the combines that are rolling in the field beside him. He's walking towards the 
like closing 300, 200, 100 yards. And then he's about probably 80 yards from the combines that are rolling. I'm 60, no, I'm 70 yards in the bush and he stops and now he starts feeding and gets comfortable. And I like look at Rowan and I'm like, what is going on? And there's dust everywhere because it was so dry and it was so loud. And I was like, well, this is the perfect scenario. I could like, I was moving Rowan around. I'm like, Rowan, move over here. And like at 70 yards, you just shouldn't be able to do that. But we had so much noise and dust and, and he was so calm. I watched him for probably about what felt like five minutes. I'm sure it wasn't that long. And I was like, I'm, I'm not going to be able to get any closer than this. I have, I'm stuck in this little patch of bush. Like I would have to step out in the field and the cut canola. And I had practiced so much that off season for mule deer because I've been really focusing on mule deer the last few years and trying to get one. And I know you got to be, I learned that I have to be more proficient from a further distance for mule deer. Like I just wasn't going to get to that 30, 40 yards that I feel super comfortable within. It just had to get better. So in the off season, I got really comfortable and set my limit. I was like 70 yards is my limit for mule deer this year. I can drill them at 70 all year. And that's exactly the yardage. I put it up. I'm like 70, put it up again. I'm like, he's at 70 perfectly standing. Bro. So I was like, I would never take that shot on a whitetail normally, but just with everything, the way that it was, I was like, this is never going to be a better opportunity than right now. So I felt really comfortable, went through my shot process, let it go. And he piled up 40 yards where I shot him. My perfect heart shot. It was like the coolest moment with my daughter. We'd like, yeah, it was an unbelievable storybook written type of thing that happened. We should have never been able, like in my head, I'm like, we should, this should have never happened, but it did. That just like, that gives me goosebumps. It makes like my hair stand up just thinking about all that. It paints such a picture of just like you say with the, the con- yeah, from the combines to the cat fest, it's like <laughs> against all odds in a way, you know, like it, like you said, it's storybook in a sense that if you Googled it, should I hunt while the combines are out? People are going to say, no, you should probably pack it in. Like you were saying to your daughter, right? Like yeah. we should go like Rowan, we should leave. Like this is not. And then to all of a sudden have it flip on a dime to be in like, wow, this opportunity is right in front of us. Like that's, Man, you can't make that up. That's and then I remember seeing the first pictures and video you sent mm-hmm. where you shared of that. And just the like you say, like the emotion too, like going up to that deer with your daughter and stuff, man. It's just like what a powerful experience. And something that I know, you know, your kids are never gonna forget either. You know what I mean? Like that's a lifelong memory made too. Like but like this deer. Like, she was involved with the whole time. Like, she knows the deal. I don't know. She knew the, like, I don't know, the size, the the gravity of the situation. Like, she's like, oh, my God, this is the deer that we have been chasing for years. That is pure magic. Yeah, that's just, yeah. It just blows my mind, like hearing that. I'm just like, and like, and I knew you did a really good way of describing the story. Any like, 
when it all happened. But like hearing you tell it is just like holy cow, man! It's just yeah. insane. Hill from the ground at seventy yards, covered in cat piss. It's calm. <laughs> I mean, those are one of those things meant to happen for sure. And I'm, yeah. I'm, my daughter kept me out there. Like she, she's been an, an awesome addition to the whole hunting side of things for sure. Yeah, that's unreal. So, has she been? Then, like, wanting to get more into it, like, with over the past four years and everything, like, is that yeah. when you're telling going out, going out with her and everything like that? Like, yeah, she's been a trooper, man. She's been awesome ever since she was little. She's been really great. Like, I've she's used to fall asleep. I used to just set up a little ground blind and we'd go sit out on the tree farm. That's like she'd fall asleep when she was really little. We'd fall asleep, but she enjoyed it. She's also always enjoyed the outside. So to get her up at a ladder stand because she just liked side and refreshing so i always took her along and she's always eaten wild game and yeah our the relationship with it just kind of evolved she came out with me a few times we saw a deer which was exciting but never really got anything together um and then she had like she was eating this would have been the season before last so 2022 she was eating a meal and she was like, you know, like I totally have been there hunting and I understand where the food's coming from side of things. She's like, but I starting to feel bad that I'm like, haven't seen one die. And I was like, mm. she was like, well, like, I just feel like that's part of it. Like that you should be there for that part. And I was like, heavy for a 10 year old, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's cool that you're thinking about that, Rowan. That you're like, you know, and the animals had to die for this, and you kind of want to be a part of that. So we made it a goal that year that we were like, this is going to be the year that Rowan's able to be there for a deer being shot. And again, it's one of those things that just played out. Like I had lots of encounters with deer, didn't shoot any, had misses, and I think it was like the twenty. 7th of November or something, her and I went out. We were out a few days before that in a ground blind. I'm getting ahead of myself because we, I told her that, that she couldn't hunt my spots. There <laughs> for the deer being shot that we had to go out and get permission somewhere together. Cause I'm like, this is part of it. If you're going to learn how to hunt, then we'll go do it together. So, yeah, she was, like, part of that process, too. It took her around asking people. She got some no's. Like, she was like, I don't people want us there. I was like, it's a heavy subject, really. Like, it's controversial. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she ended up getting permission on a really lovely couple spot, and I let her pick this place where we put the cameras, and then I let her, she had to come every time to check the cameras, and then I let her pick where she wanted to put the blind based off of the camera stuff. Um, so she, like, earned it. And yeah, then fast forward to the 27th and we were out there in the ground blind and there was tons of action, like does were running around and there was only a few small bucks and a little buck came by and he stopped by the blind at honestly, I could have poked him with an arrow. He's like three yards away from the blind, but it was one of the windows that weren't open. So he just, you hear him breathe. And he wouldn't move. He was there for about five minutes. The look on her face was like priceless. 
So then he kind of screwed it off, and she named him Little Tight because he had like he was only he was a little forkhorn, but they were like little tight antlers. So he named him Little Tight, and I was like, Little Tight comes back. I'm like, is this like do you want me to this deer? She's and about two minutes later, he came right back to the line and stopped. And I looked at her and I was like, Are you sure? And she said, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I shot him. And again, it was a, yeah, he was super close, but it was a perfect heart shot. He went down in eyesight. She got to watch the whole, she actually filmed it on her camera. Um, and she was there for the whole thing, was there for the recovery. She got her hands in him and bloody. And then, like, hauled him out to my buddy Matt's place who's got a cooler we got at him she was out till one in the morning on a school night doing it we still went to school the next day <laughs> it was awesome um but yeah that was the experience with her and it was a that isn't that had her like now she is full-on a hunting buddy yeah that's so cool. That's so <clears throat> admirable. Um, I just think of like when you're talking about that, like, man, what was I doing when I was 10 years old? Like as an adult on like onset hunter, you know, <laughs> it's like, yeah. yes, literally grateful that she's brave enough. Like it does take like, a like takes guts, man. I, like I was shocked that she was willing to help me gut him and put her hands in and get him bloody. And like, yeah, it's oh, she's she's cool. I'm actually I have I ordered a rifle this year. That I got my pal for the first time, <laughs> all based on the hunt with her because I think I personally I think to try and keep her interest in it, being able to have a little bit easier success on some of those harder years might help. Mm-hmm. You know. It's hard to keep a 10-year-old in a tree stand during the rut for eight hours and then do it again the next day and not see anything. And I just, she can still experience those things with me well, during bow season, but it would be really nice at the end of the year to go out and have a rifle together. You know what I mean? Make oh, yeah, absolutely. I definitely, <laughs> I'm for some reason whittling my own difficulties through the traditional stuff, but <laughs> oh my. you're a, you're a, uh, what's the word? Uh, something for pain. Something for pain. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like psychotic. I don't know. What <laughs> thing, though, man, because your traditional journey watching you, like I'm drawn to the exact same thing. And I think a, for me, it's a little bit of simplification. And I know it's definitely getting closer in that challenge side of things, but there's something about, like, I'm not a gearhead. I don't love, like, working. If I have to do something for my bow, A, I'm lucky because my buddies love working on bows. So they'll just, like, help me out. But to me, it's a chore. I'm like, fuck, new D-loop. Like, this sucks. Yeah. And there's just something about the simplification of, bad bow that I'm like really drawn to it but I still feel crazy yeah I just be careful with being drawn to it that's all I can say because like 
like when you mentioned earlier, I, I really relate to what you're saying. There's a lot of stuff like that I really relate to, but but uh, when you mentioned the like hyper focused potential, like ADHD kind of obsession with things, like I get that way very much. So myself with, I just go like full fledged focus energy, narrow minded into something that I'm passionate about or something. And, you know, when a compound bow hunting came up for me, it was like, I need to understand how everything works. I need to understand how, like, if I'm in the back of the, you know, bush in the Yukon or something like that. And my D loop rips, like, I can't just be like, well, that's it for this hunt. I got to go to the, you know, I was like, I need to know how to do this. I need to know how to do that. Um, and I think over time I developed like a bit of target panic or poor shot cycle or whatever. And then I noticed within like my rifle shooting, I started to uh, develop like a flinch, like a brace for recoil, kind of like a, what, like a clench or whatever it would be like expecting or bracing for the recoil that it was causing. So I started to get into like 22 LR precision shooting to like, I don't know, um, get rid of the recoil and focus more on the bolt action shot cycle. And then in the same way, uh, through compound bow, there's something about having, you know, the pin hover over a target and they cause like a, um, like a punching of the trigger or release or whatever. Um, so all of a sudden through traditional archery with bare bow, like it was just, you know, not having a stabilizer or a sight or like exactly like you said, having all of these mechanical components that could go wrong or not all of a sudden it was just like you look at something and you shoot it and a lot of people argue in the traditional world about instinctive shooting and whether it's legit or not or you know you're focusing on something or whatever and i've heard some people swear by you know it's like throwing a football like you don't take out your rangefinder on your buddy when you go to throw a football to him right you just throw the football at him right um and then I've also heard lots of people say that that's like a really poor way of looking at things too. And it's the same thing of going on these forums and reading back and forth about every potential way of doing something uh, or like every potential outcome. Uh, and I just, I didn't really believe in instinctive shooting. And then once I started to just look at the target and shoot it um, with my bare bow, I started to just place wild groups. And uh, all of a sudden I just, I got to the point now that I, I'll take my compound bow and my traditional bow to the range and I won't even shoot my tr compound bow. Like, and it's, that's where that I did. Yeah. That's why you got to be careful. I guess. Dude, I'm a Joel Turner student had to go through the whole thing. Like hard. Yeah. I just recently started listening to him on some podcasts and realizing like, man, his whole, I don't know. Have you seen the mind IQ thing he's doing now? Oh yeah, dude. <laughs> I think that's pretty sweet. I was like, well, I was listening to him to talk on that push traditional archery podcast there. And uh, that's when I first really heard him going off on like his kind of framework between shot IQ into like mind IQ and just taking on everyday life with this different framework of mental fortitude and thinking. And I think there's a big theme like that these days with, you know, even for yourself, like, all the stories and stuff you're sharing of like in your gym when you don't want to be right. Totally. Uh, and and uh, trust me, I'm not like, this isn't a toot my own horn. I'm look at me side of things. Like 
it's helping me. It's the only, it's like, I'm learning. I'm like, this is like wisdom. I feel like I'm getting older. So I'm kind of learning stuff, but it feels like when I do hard things, everything else is easier. So it's like more people that I can kind of be like, where to God, it's true. Like people used to tell me it and I'd be like, oh yeah. They used to tell me that about banks too. People would be like, don't trust banks. I'm like, you crazy old bastard. And now I'm like, fucking bank. <laughs> things, but it is, yeah, I feel that way. It's, it's hard things. Doing hard things makes hard things easy for sure. Yeah, I like that perspective. And I think, you know, when it comes into like the traditional hunting stuff, I think, you know, right now I'm lined up on a, a really planned out spring bear hunt and, you know, going to go with a really solid group of guys and we're planning on setting up some baits and being out for a couple weekends in May. And, you know, everyone is aware that, you know, everyone's going out for their own purposes and stuff like that, but it's apparent that I'm only bringing a longbow with me and I'm setting up, we're building in like a on ground floor or like ground blind. Uh, just out of like like a natural ground blind is what I'm trying to say. Jeez. Yep. Um, about like 15 feet away from a bait pile. So there's some pressure there for sure. But the idea is to hopefully have a spring bear be my first traditional bow big game animal. And that'll be a rush. Oh have man. A bear? Sorry? Sorry? Have you ever taken a bear with anything? No. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's uh. I've I've always wanted to. I've gone in an attempt to spot and stock. I've never baited, so yeah, um, and never been successful. But uh, <laughs> yeah, nope, never done it. But gonna do it the hardest way. I'm, you know, but then it's like you listen to enough guys out there. There's lots of people that just never did it any easier of a way. Like when you like listen to yourself when you're like, oh, I went right into compound archery. You know what I mean? I did the same thing too. Like I went right into compound too. You know, it's like there's lots of people too that are just like, I never even started with compound. I just went straight to tradition. It's like, it's it, when you, and like, and it's funny. Cause like you mentioned, you just got your pal. It's like, man, it's, I think it'll just make you, in, even though I agree with you that you're saying like, you know, you want to uh, seal the deal and maybe have a bit of easier, like at the end of the day, if that's what you're doing is sustenance hunting, you still want to get that, the sustenance right at the end of the year. Um, it's like it, it will give you that much more of an appreciation probably for like compound bow hunting too and how difficult it really is right like and i'm sure you already are aware but oh, like I, yes i and i have respect for rifle hunting i'm not going to say like oh yeah yes there's it ha- comes with its own amount of challenges i've i've gone on many right yeah. and i that's having those experiences is why I got into bow hunting because I'm like, oh, I've experienced rifle hunting and I get it. Like, but yeah, is something about that challenge and being closer. And but the, it is taking that pressure off, man. It is about sustenance hunting. And I think I got a little too big for my britches that season that Rowan and I shot a little tight, that little deer. Yeah. Because that's all I got that year. And I was like, oh, like, luckily the year before I got a moose and a whitetail but i was like if this happens again i'm not gonna have any meat like Mm -hmm. eat predominantly like that's what we eat five nights a week right Mm -hmm. so it was 
I think that was really eye-opening for me that season of like I am nowhere near as good at this as I thought I was like I had a couple like like the season before I shot a moose and a white tail and I'm like I am a hunting god <laughs> yeah, it's easy to get confident right but... like I had this prime spot there's like 50 living in a little tiny patch of egg land like hadn't been hunted in 25 years it was a sure thing like the deer in there like i went in shed hunting i was like found like a bajillion and it should have happened it didn't like it's not as easy as i think it is that's funny though yeah and that's it's just hilarious that i mean that's this part of the areas and stuff too like you can get into some absolute honey holes like that that are just remarkable but and in the same way i don't think like I don't consider traditional bow hunting any, you know, superior to compound bow hunting in a way at all. It's just something different, you know. Yeah, um, definitely different. It's a different um, thread to pull, right? Yeah. Another... <laughs> <laughs> Literally, yeah. <laughs> but no, it's. Uh, but then other elements I have seen people kind of uh, put down traditional bow hunting in a way too, being like, oh, it's unethical or whatever, and I just. You know, there are the laws and the framework to stay within for poundage and things like that. And if traditional hunting never worked, then again, we wouldn't be here talking about it. But um, that divisiveness, too, is like really challenging in the community. And it's something that I think is I don't want to keep bringing this back to the viewpoint of adult onset hunter. But it was something very glaring to me. I was like, whoa, like everybody is so judgmental about the way that somebody does something that I'm like, it's hard to be a community when a rifle guy puts down a compound guy who puts down a traditional guy who's putting down a long range rifle guy who put like, it's like, what? Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. They just, it rips each other apart cyclically. And you know, at the end of the day, like everybody knows their limits with themselves. And I'm always like a firm believer in, you know, there's no referee out there and you have to be your own referee. And, you know, you know what your limits are with the equipment. Like you said, like with Megalodon, right? You're like, I've practiced all year at this yardage and I felt confident and, you know, guys are talking about like, like I've literally just seen guys say like, I don't agree with bow hunting at all, regardless if it's compound or traditional or anything. Right. Um, But something that I've always been like a really strong advocate for that I've heard in other, um, like other people say as well too, is like, you know, when you hear all these gear reviews on podcasts about, uh, you know, broadhead selection or arrow weights, like heavy adult arrows or whatever, like bow tuning setups. And there's, there's all of this gear talk about like, Oh, this broadhead, you know, I don't use mechanicals or I'm only using a fixed blade or, you know, uh, this leaves a bigger blood trail or, you know, single bevel will cut more or whatever the heck. Right. There's like all these like, technicalities and it's overwhelming this is kind of go back to that trad thing like you're saying with like there's just less technicalities in a way um but out of all of that like regardless of what broadhead you shoot or what caliber you shoot or how many grains you're shooting or whatever the hell it's like the most important thing in my perspective and i think really for anybody it's it's like a guaranteed fact is shot placement yes it's like you could use like that's you see these guys hunting with spe- that's what it was. It was a video of a dude. Oh, I can't remember if it's Tim Wells or what's the guy's name. He's like spear hunting out of a tree stand, and he like 
the spear has like a tacticam on it or something and he like hits the he like spines the elk basically and it runs like maybe 30 40 yards and it topples over and dies and people are like unethical not my cup of tea or whatever and he just like displayed an ethical kill with it right um but again i'm not going to go out there spear hunting at all and i mean i'm pretty sure it's illegal in alberta but it's like just that shot placement thing like when even when you mention like with uh like the tight fork one there that it's like it you hit it right in the heart right and it's like it doesn't matter you know that's like there's plenty of wounded animals have come from rifles plenty of wounded animals have come from poor shot placement with anything right well it's just like it's so frustrating to see a community that's already in such heavy scrutiny like you mentioned with your daughter when you're looking for permission in places like that like it's already a sensitive topic this day and age whether it's bringing up things like guns and responsible gun ownership in society nowadays or it's talking about you know killing animals for meat when there's meat in grocery stores that cost 30 times the amount of a tag or something right it's like there's not really a lot of room for hunters and anglers and stuff to be all on each other exactly like you said with like methodology or what they choose to use it's like exhausting to hear people argue about it and fight about it and there's no shortage of it like you say no like like overwhelming amount of information trying to fast track and get as much knowledge as i could from all of these sources out there because i wasn't best and it is something hard to learn where i'm like just been doing it like i should have been out shooting my bow and stretching my ring and learning about gear and shooting from a tree stand with my gear on and like doing that stuff versus asking if you know the time change affects gear. There's no replacement for practicing and getting good at craft and doing. Like like you said, like when you're out there and you see complete obstacles people say so it's all your own experience as long as it's ethical and yeah that's it <laughs> that yeah. argue it's an ethical skill that somebody is going to consume i'm all for it. yeah man i don't think you could have kind of said it better than that really like it's and it it's funny how much you can go and recircle or like recircle the same thing online over and over and over again until people just come to that same result, you know? But it feels very here, but it's just it feels out bigger than like it's everything. Everything is so divisive right now that it's like thing. Yeah. Oh, so true. And that is just like the reality of the world right now is that divisiveness and yeah, it's just a shame to see. But yeah, something I wanted to ask you too is kind of as we wind things down, was like 2024 now. Like, what are you, what are your aspirations for this year yourself? Oh, that is, a, I have a very up in the air. I mean, usually I'm very planned out, just I'm hard to manage. So it's like, I plan it out very in advance. I'm actually taking quite a big step back from the restaurant. Um, and I'm taking a job with a company called Bear Scare. So I'm going to be 
in like the first year of a new job so i don't know what my season is gonna hold um i do have like, a real thorn in my side with spring bear this is now going to be my third season trying to spot alberta bear with my bow nice that one is pretty high on the list um that's all i have planned now i do have potentially in september a mule deer hunt with a buddy in Saskatchewan um, where he was going to come here and kind of take some photos and do some video of a hunt here. And then I'd go do the same for him at Sask and try and and that side of things and just kind of document the hunt. It's kind of cool. Like that's the part where I'm like, Ugh, I hate social media. And then I'm like, I never would have met this dude and built this relationship or you and I would have never like, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it is a tool. Like, it's certainly a tool. I, I've said it this before, and it's, it is. But, yeah, that's my plan for the year. It's pretty up in the air. I know spring bear is there, and mule deer is definitely on the list. But I, I'm going to have to really try and play it by ear for help this year. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, the whole social media thing is definitely a double-edged sword. And that's funny, too, because when you mentioned, like, you know, kind of hunter hosting each other and like, you know, videography and things and photography and stuff. We didn't even get too much into that whole topic either. And it's like, man, the quality of your photography and videography is just like, yeah, bar none. It's there. You can tell when somebody is like, like there's a difference I find myself when I'm as like a viewer or an appreciator, I guess, or something you would say of like good photography, but it's like, you can tell when someone's just using like nice equipment and then when someone has a, like an artistic style to what they do. And I find that you have very much like a really enjoyable again, like artistic style to your photography and things. And it's, it's almost like a given that like when someone's scrolling a feed or if I'm looking through Instagram or something like that, and I come across one of your posts, it's like a dead giveaway. Like I just know it's your stuff without even seeing like, the picture, the username, the write-up or anything, just because it, there's just a almost like a theme to it in a really enjoyable way. Like, I don't know how to put it into words, but. I, I am emotional because that is honestly the biggest compliment that you could give. Recognize <laughs> yeah, the gear thing, I lit one of my lens, my nicest lens right now, I have it super glued. The glass is super onto the end, so definitely not thing <laughs> that's funny like, yeah it's something i really fell in love with and i think again it part storytelling side hunting that i always loved and i always loved those old pictures from like the 60s and 70s and of your grandpa and uncles and deer in the barns or like you know what i mean you go back and see those images and they're just they're iconic i go through alberta historical photos of hunting like those guys up there in jeans rams i'm like these guys are amazing yeah man <laughs> they're making us look weak at that at least me yeah <laughs> look weak there's something about being able to tell that story that i got really hooked on and i really appreciate it. oh for sure man and it's yeah it's just me being honest that way too not trying to you know 
just post your order or anything. It's just that's totally honest from what I see flipping through, right? And it's like, and it's such a cool perspective to have that because, like, likewise, like, like you say, to have that perspective of like looking at those old timey photos and it does tell a story, right? Like it hundred percent tells a story of that, that timeline, what it was like, what life was like, you know, and it's ever changing so quickly nowadays that like these stories are things that we just really hold near and dear to our heart, you know? Yeah. And I want to be able to remember them, man. Like I, my memory is not great. I got some serious head injuries from my rugby days and like, I, I legit want to capture I started thinking too, like it's something that feels really vain. Like I know that people have a hard time being like, Oh, I wish I had pictures of me, but I know that a lot of people wish they had pictures of themselves in the act of doing something that they absolutely love. And like mm-hmm. to be people sometimes and be able to be like, that's what I love about it. Like, I, I don't think I, like I've been able to like take pictures and get paid for it. And I, brands and that has been really cool but i have this like ultimate dream of being able to guide and do the photography like with like older dudes like guys that would never want or be able to say like oh i wish i had a photographer follow me on this hunt but those guys i just want to cat like i call them like hunts in my head like it's like later in life when the guys are getting guided to you know moose and I just want to be able to capture those moments. I think there's so many cool stories to tell with that stuff. I think that's just the part of photography that I'm so drawn to is you're able to tell a story in such a cool, quick, interesting perspective that I people can view differently. Like, Yeah, there's a different story in it for some people, which I think is cool. Yeah. When I think it's like it truly like you say like yeah people could see it as i don't think it's like egotistical or something to be like oh i have photos of myself or whatever but it truly does like immortalize yourself right and when you talk about like and immortalize like that legacy of that person like when you're looking at historic albertan photos or any photos of historical hunting and stuff it's like you know that is immortalizing those people that you know maybe even 50 60 years you're like you say in jeans and flannel out hunting you're like admiring what they're accomplishing right and it's like i actually just kind of mentioned this to my buddy luke there that he just published his first article in a magazine there and i said to him i was like man that's so cool because i was like one day like your daughter is gonna have a kid maybe you know and your grandkid might have that magazine up on their wall and be like that's my grandfather like that that old-timey photo that you're talking about now like (laughs) They'll be living in the, in the digital verse and singularity, and they'll come out of it to be like, "Oh, we still have a photo on the wall." <laughs> <laughs> but it's true, man. It is. There's, yeah. there is like a preservation side of it with those things, right? And I love that part. Yeah, man, that's super cool, super marble. Thanks, man. Yeah, I don't. I was like, sorry. Hold on. Speaking of pumping tires. But I do have to say this while we're tugging horns. Um, <laughs> you, uh, what you're doing for the hunting community is bar none. I don't know if anyone has said this to you yet. I hope they have. It's like one of the best things for this community. And I can see you without even telling me what your vision is. I already know that you're trying to bring like-minded people together that 
like, yeah, with the shoot coming up and all this, even just the people that you're having on the stories that they're telling, I just can see your vision of wanting to bring the community together in a positive way. And I know the time and energy that it takes. And like, I'm really grateful. And I will say we as a group are grateful. I know there's lots of people out there that are grateful for what you're doing. Yeah. yeah that really means a lot to hear, especially like right now, because in the last couple of weeks, just things have got so chaotic, like work got so chaotic for me and with that cold weather snap and everything. And it's just, when we talked about the priorities and stuff, right? Like immediately family and work came first and a lot of the stuff hit the back burner. And then you go right into January being one of the more depressing months of the year with, you know, just long, cold, short, or cold, short days, not long days, but, um, and yeah, it was just, at times it can be defeating and unmotivating. And then a few days later, something changes and I have all the motivation again and I get real stoked and fired up. And, you know, I was so excited to just come and sit down and chat with you this evening. And it is something that, you know, it is kind of ever changing and I'm always trying to navigate what to do and what feels like the right path to take it and you know what to go to next and I feel like in 2024 myself um, I really wanted to just bring the community that is so much online like into in person in different ways yeah. um, and I found that like I think when I first started the podcast it was like there's so many people online, but I didn't really know anybody, you know, and I didn't know if anybody really truly knew each other. Like some people I know are like, Oh, that's my really good buddy. And I'm like, Oh, I had no idea you guys were that close or whatever. Right. But, um, it just seems like everybody is kind of aware of each other on social media, but you don't really like, I, I've followed some of these guys for like some of you guys for like three or four years and, you know, didn't know any more about you than a few pictures or something, you know? So, it's been really cool to get to know everybody through it and everything and to like have people share their stories and you know, why they do what they do and why you like find meaning in hunting and why you find meaning in you know, your food source and the restaurant you run and the values. And I hope it brings you more success in your own life that, you know, people will be like, Oh, I heard you on this podcast and now I want to come eat at your restaurant. Cause all I hear is about, you know, the quality ingredients and the values you hold when you're presenting this food to people. Right. Um, and I really wanted to like inflate each other's tires and everybody kind of find avenues and successes through it. Right. Like, and it benefit more people than just myself by any means. And then, yeah, through things, like you said, like the, the shoot and stuff this year, I've just started to think like, okay, now that it's kind of like a online thing, like how can we get people put more faces to names and get together and see what kind of impact we can make on each other's lives, like in person, like that, the shoot for the range, I think, I, and you know, I'd go into a little bit just because I actually haven't brought it up in the podcast yet. I'm running an ad right now at the beginning of the podcast, just with regards to what's going on at that range. Cause uh, Doug, the owner has had just got sideswiped with stuff. He got, he was walking and he got hit by a truck a few years ago and he hasn't been able to pull his bow back. Um, and he pretty much runs that whole range out at the short park archery club. And uh, they've had guys break in and steal quads and that they used to manage the 3D loops and everything. And yeah, long story short, they just had multiple different things going on at that range that have just been 
for the worse kind of thing. And it's a beautiful place. That's where I'm a member at. And I want it for my son when he's older. If he wants to get into archery, it's a phenomenal place. They host all the juniors in the schools and stuff like that in the area on Short Park here and stuff. And uh, yeah, I just thought like, you know, what could the community do to come together and all enjoy each other, hanging out, going to a shoot and then, you know, benefiting a range to keeping them around for longer, you know, uh, and what kind of impact that can have in person. So I don't know. I'm just sorry for going on a huge tangent, but yeah, it's, I really appreciate that. And at this time, yeah, it's, I'm trying to always find different motivation and the right way to go about things. Cause the industry is really, really wild to put it politely. <laughs> <laughs> it is, man. I that like I was going to point out the fact that it's like, it's clear that what you're doing is selfless in a quite a cesspool of, selfish and i know i brought selfish as a positive before this is now the negative side of things but it's like <laughs> people out for themselves right? self-promotion and very very look at me type of industry um and that's certainly not what you're about or what you're doing and yeah that makes it clear and i think that's why everybody's so pumped on what you're doing and i'm stoked for that shit. it's gonna be awesome and they definitely like they are get stolen too like everything mm-hmm Man, no, I appreciate that a lot. And definitely, I'm stoked to like just, yeah, me guys like yourself get out there, shoot together and enjoy a weekend together doing stuff we love. It'd be awesome. Pull the trailer. It's going to be wicked. Heck yeah, man. And then, you know, it's like, it's tough too because I've talked to guys that are involved in the industry and have been involved in the industry for many years. And, you know, even when you're doing things, you know, for the greater good, I guess, you know, there's like, people will still sometimes think that that's like, you know, you're still out there trying to be the best or inflate yourself. And it's such a, it, it can be unmotivating at times. Right. Um, so to hear yourself, somebody that like, I look up to you as, you know, to be completely honest, as like a, as a father and as a person, like the way you carry yourself, like I said, in the intro, man, like, and not the same thing, like to be tucking each other's horns and stuff, but, uh, you know, appreciated due to your unique and authentic perspective. Like that's something I legitimately appreciate about you. Like just w- watching the stuff you do and to hear you say something like that does actually mean a lot to me. So thank you for saying that. Well, it's, it's really, so keep doing. I'm, and I, I, I don't like, I'm not a dick. I've just, I've used up my social gas tank in the restaurant industry some people call it jaded. I try to put it nicely that I've used up my gas tank, but like I've dealt with so many humans over the last 30 years that, and I'm genuinely so excited because I know the people that are going to be at this shoot. So I'm like, I'll be every- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm so pumped for it too. That way, just exactly like you said, but, but, uh, yeah, man, Darren, it's been honestly an absolute pleasure getting to to know you more and to hear you talk about the things that you love in life and to share the stories and to hear the stories and stuff. It's been like this time has gone by really quick. And yeah, I would love to have you on again in the future um, to share any more stories or anything, man. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, dude. I don't even feel like we scratched the surface. I could chat forever. I'm sure you're listening. <laughs> you would shut the fuck up. But I... <laughs> I honestly that all night, man. I I think like-minded people find like-minded people, and I'm just yeah, I'm grateful that you reached out. I'm glad that I was able to hop on and chat. 
Yeah, man. It's funny because, yeah, definitely, like you say, I could, when we brought up photography and we, I was like, oh, man, I was like, Frank, we could go on for this for another hour if we want to for sure. Cause it's like, I feel like between that, getting more into like your writing and stuff you do too, I'm like, man, we could do a whole nother episode easily. Like, I didn't even want to, I have this for some reason on my little notepad here, I have the word music jot down because we started sending people back and forth that we listen to and i'm like this guy's got an eclectic taste in music <laughs> and I was like, I think there's very fans. I, I was like oh my god seriously that's <laughs> funny man yeah so i feel like we could go on a whole nother tangent of just like how you got into certain music in life i so honestly seeing all the cool shit you do even you just shared that tattoo that you got of that coyote yeah i'm like dude you also shared that book not too long ago. What's the book title again? The Coyote America? Yeah. Yeah. And then was... that that sent me into that author, and that author has another book about what the heck is it? It's something about like the conservation of animals or something like that. Or it's like the animal king. I can't remember. But anyway, that's a whole nother thing, man. Like when I seen that tattoo, I was like, man, we could get into that conversation with that book like crazy too. And it's like Yeah. yeah. I've got, had some people be like, it is the driest read I've Really? It is Dan Flores. Wild New World is his other one. Ah, there it is. Wild New World. And dude, I was going to get it. And then I looked at, because I listen to a lot of audiobooks and obviously podcasts. And it's like a 16 hour listen. It's, like an, <laughs> it's an encyclopedia. It's like. That's very fitting for, yeah, that does, there's a lot of information though. But I mean, honestly, man, like I've gotten through some, like, I don't know. I love, I absolutely love with my job driving, like I drive around a lot and I love listening to different podcasts. I've listened to like six hour podcasts and I'll crush it out in like two days just because I do that much driving. Right. So it's like, yeah, it's not, I could probably get through that 16 hour book in a week really. So that's a lot of but it's nice to listen to podcasts because you can choose what you consume, right? I think mm -hmm. that part's pretty important. Yeah, I think of it as like, I'm either going to waste a lot of these hours of my life just driving around yep. mindlessly in thought or getting mad on the road or whatever, you know what I mean? Or I could be like uptaking some crazy information about the things that I love to learn about. It's like my, I, I'm in my own vehicle university. I'll call it that. <laughs> All right. Yeah, very efficient. It reminds me, I met a, sorry, I know we're trying to wrap this. That's all good. Winter, snow removal at the Molson Brewery in Toronto. Um, and it was like 24 hour access because it's like a brewery, right? So, mm -hmm. night, there was this pretty guard at, at graduated from Tanzania and he worked all night shifts, young guy, and he was always in there reading. So one night I finally stopped and went inside like we always just waved at each other and i went inside and i was like you're always in here like heavy into the books what are you doing he's like oh i'm in law school and i was like what he was like yeah he's like i why would i go to school during the day when i can work and get paid and then i just do all of my study in school while i'm here because there's nothing to do for the nights and i was like man what a great way to use your time, smart son of a bitch. Ever since him, 
time I think about how to be in like the time that I have, I always think about that dude. I'm like, that guy really was using his time well. So good job, dude. That truck, <laughs> truck you going somewhere. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I appreciate it. <laughs> like, I think that's cool because I think I'm like that guy's cracked the code. Like, go to school and work at the same time. And yeah, yeah. he's like, dude, yeah, that's yeah. I'm just thinking more like, if I didn't do it, I would, I would hate, I'd hate it. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's what prevents me from hating my job driving around. So, but, but yeah, I don't know. I think you know whether it's podcasts or audiobooks or like exactly like you said it's uh just what you choose to consume for content and i think you know if people have chosen to consume alberta wildlife stories it's always much appreciated <laughs> there's a lot of people that reach out and stuff and yeah it's really enjoyable to be what people choose to listen to at times too it's blows my mind i didn't think that would really be a thing but <laughs> I mean, podcast is like consuming wild game for your body but this is for your mind <laughs> that is a that's an epic note to leave on <laughs> i think it we're getting too deep here i think it's good i i like it <laughs> oh thanks again dude i really appreciate it oh for sure darren like i say anytime and uh yeah we'll be out again soon enjoying a meal again there and uh yeah thanks for everything that you do for the community as well and yeah i look forward to talking to you again man me too man yeah, well, you have a good night there, and uh, we'll chat again soon. You too, buddy. Thanks. See, See you. Ya.